Hey, everybody. How are you guys? Oh, it is so good to see you. Clearly, I can see the Buffalo Bulls are playing. The first service was packed. I go like, man, I'm prophetic. I can tell when they... Here you are, and you look spectacular this morning. I'm so thankful that you are here. You know, I've got to let you know, after all the beautiful years that God has granted me this opportunity, I love pastoring the Father's house and this beautiful church family. Look forward. I was in, in, in Dallas, Texas, speaking at a men's conference, and um, I flew back last night and fell asleep on the plane. When I woke up and I walked out, I go like, are we in Florida right now? Like, did I get on the wrong flight? God bless Rochester, New York's what I say. It is so good to see you. Um, I'm so excited and all your Buffalo Bull people. I'm going to get you to the game at one o'clock. So fear not. And um, we are here and I want to welcome those who are joining us online and our Albion extension our Monroe Extension, we love, 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 love you. Those joining us online, thank you so much for being here today. So today we're starting a, a series called Bless Up. Now, whenever we speak about our lives, we love when God liberates, when God speaks into our existence. But there is a strange tension whenever we hear Jesus talk about money. And I think the thing that makes me, you, uncomfortable is that we feel there is always an agenda when it comes to the topic of money. I remember my wife and I were pastoring a church in South Africa and we had an opportunity to come to the U.S. Courtney had an opportunity to come to the U.S. and the South African currency has always been less than the American currency. So if you can imagine, you go to South Africa and it was the other way around. Right now, you would pay 18 times what you pay for a McDonald's burger if it was the other way around. You, you know what I mean? You go like, I'm going to, how much? Because of the currency difference. And I remember... My biggest dream was to take my wife and my daughter to Disney World. Those are the days when you still pay $32 to get in. It's true. And I, we didn't have much money, and it was not worth much. And I prayed all the time, oh, God, oh, we need a miracle. We need favor. And we came out of a 7-Eleven, and a 7-Eleven was like the biggest shopping experience of our lives. You know what I mean? And there was a guy that tapped me on the shoulder and he says, hey, I've got half-price Disney tickets. I go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, this is answer to pray. And then he says, all you need to do is come for a free breakfast. I go like, oh, isn't there a God in heaven? Now we get half-price and a free breakfast. I don't know why you're laughing. Because you know, and I know, it was not about the breakfast. 
It was not about half-price Disney tickets. It was about conning us into four hours of pretending we were rich until we didn't want to buy. And then we were treated like we party bashed our way into a free breakfast. And we walked out of there going like, what just happened? Clearly God was not in this. You see, whenever we talk about finance, I think our natural reflex is so many people want to con as giving what we need and we feel extremely protected because our future depends on what we have. But I would love for you to believe me this morning as your pastor. If you can put on this filter this morning that God wants nothing from you. He owns the cattle in a thousand hills. God wants something for you. He wants something for his sons and daughters to possess in their hearts, in their trust, in the way we live. And out of that context this morning, I want you to receive this message. And, and every time you feel um, stirred up, Scripture is supposed to stir us up. You know, the Bible says Scripture is like a surgical knife. The only difference between a surgeon and Scripture, surgeon cuts, uh, Scripture cuts you and it heals you at the same time. So I want to tell you a story. And I'm so thankful for Naji that knows story music. So Jesus loved to tell parables. Parables are fictitious story that makes God's truth understandable through natural things. But in every one of those stories, somebody in that story represents God, and somebody in that story represents the hearers of that story. Now, what is so incredible about Scripture is that every parable is as relevant now than what it was the first time it was told. So here is the story. So Jesus says there was a man who was very successful in business. He was so successful that he realized that he could not manage his wealth and resources. So he hired a manager to oversee part of his business, to be a steward in his place, to stand in his name, to carry the authority of decisions on behalf of the one whose possession this is. The Bible says, but this man started making side deals because selfishness possessed his heart. And then the owner found out. And he called this guy in and he says, I trusted you with my 
belonging, my resources, and I've paid you well, but now you're taking from me. He says, I could let you go. If I can't trust you with little, how can I trust you with much? He says to the guy, but what I want you to do is I want you to settle all your accounts and get the books in order before you go. Now, put yourself in that position if it's you. I don't know if there's a word in Hebrew that goes like, oh, shoot. Now what? There's two options that this man can take. Uh, the one option is to take as much as he can. And there's no Cancun, but there's probably Egypt. And just disappear with as much money as he can because alternatively, he's going to go to prison. And back then, you didn't owe people debt. You served time in prison until that was paid off. Thank God credit companies don't work that way today. The second thing that this man could do was to honor the request of the owner and settle the accounts. So he went out to the people whose accounts were outstanding. He went to the first person. He says, how many barrels of oil did you buy and you still owe the money? They go like 25 barrels. He says, nobody knows that. I'm going to write down five. Just give me enough money for five. That person said, oh, you are so kind. You are such a wonderful human being. If ever you need me for anything, please feel free to come back to me. He went to another person and said, how many bushels of wheat do you owe? Oh, go like four donkey carts full of. Just, I'm going to write one and give just enough money for one bushel. He'll never find out. What do you think would the lesson be of a righteous God telling a story of crooked business? What is he trying to communicate? Because the Bible says the story end with Jesus saying these words. The master commended, which means... Celebrate the dishonesty of the manager because he had acted shrewdly. Come on, how many of you are confused right now? Because these are the words of Jesus. I go like, wait, wait, wait. Did they screw up in the translation? Like, really? Really? For the people of this world, which means uh, those who are not walking in the light of God are more shrewd that we know in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. Now I know some of you who are in business go like, see honey, I told you, this is how it works. If you want to make money, you, you can't play it straight. That is not what Jesus is saying. Come on, you know that. Turn your neighbor and say, don't get confused now. Don't get confused. This is not what Jesus is saying. There are three lessons that comes up in this story. The very first lesson, and I'm going to 
just lay it out there as an invite to me and to you to understand what God wants to bring to us and for us and not want to take from us. Here is the first one. The first one is the difference between a manager and an owner. Now you see where we live in America, in the Western culture, Remember, I told you the story of sitting in Israel at the Sea of Galilee. And we were sitting, Molly's and I were sitting at a table. And if you ever get there, we should go again. They've got these most beautiful fish. They call it St. Peter's fish that's flash fried. Oh, my gosh, it's so incredible. I, you know when you get a plate of food and you go like, I swear, if you touch my fish... It, because there's not even enough for me. And, and Molly's and I were sitting there and there were two... A whole row of people there, clearly Jewish and Arab descent. And as we are eating, this one guy was eating off the other guy's plate and they didn't know each other. And I said to my wife, oh, crap's about to go down. <laughs> he hurt me. He says, no, it's not his food. It's God's food. Because he's the provider of it all. So when there is food, everybody gets to eat of that food because you are not the provider of that food. It is everybody's food. And I go like, not my plate. <laughs> you play that game. I ain't playing with my fish. You know why? Because they understand who the owner is and who the steward is. The man who didn't fight back on his plate understood he was a steward of what God provided on his plate. And he was willing to share what was provided by the owner of that blessing. Now the Bible says that you and I need to understand this. Jesus said these words. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, what is he referring to? He's referring to someone that has entrusted you and me in that story to steward a blessing that's in our possession, but it's not our possession. We are merely stewards of that you see now what is really interesting about this that you and I find that very disturbing at least I do very disturbing but I can tell you something that I have come to this conclusion if things are mine my possession then surely I get to take it with me when I die because it's mine I've had the privilege as a pastor to marry people I've had the privilege to hold babies five minutes after they're born. Oh, oh, they just cut the, the, the umbilical cord and then the family wants me to bless the child. Oh my gosh. Oh, I should have been the kid's pastor. Oh, the smell holding that baby. And I've had the pain and the privilege to bury people. Can I tell you what is so strange about when people die rich? They are put in the coffin dirt poor 
You know what's the other part? When somebody has a lot of money, the doo-doo is about to go down with a family. How was it at one funeral where we went to somebody's house to commemorate their life? The children came with pickup trucks to raid what they are feeling entitled to. Now, I want you to know this. When we think that we are the owners and not the managers, then the rest of our story will be forgettable. The second thing that this teaches us is that in this story, the steward was tested. He was tested with the possession and the business of the one who entrusted him with this. You see, I believe with all of my heart that you and I are constantly tested to whose kingdom we are more devoted to. Are we devoted to a worldly kingdom or are we devoted to God's kingdom? Are we devoted to the TikTok people that tells you buy Dogecoins, make five million, retire and walk around so people can envy you? Or is there a more significant life that God has for you? Because the Bible says this to these people, no one can serve two masters. Have you ever watched that program on TV? That shows you the life of people before winning the lottery and after winning the lottery. Oh, come on. You know you watch TV. Don't look at me this way. <laughs> How many of you have ever dreamed about winning the lottery? Come on. If you're honest and you know it, raise your hand. Uh, uh. <laughs> they say one of the worst things that can happen to you is winning the lottery. It destroys more lives than you think. Because you see, money wants service. And Jesus says this, go back. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will devote to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now the word money, there is a word mammon. Now you go like, what's that got to do with anything? Now, you don't have to believe this. And remember, I'm not the boss of you. I can't tell you what to do with your money. I'm not here to sway you. I have no timeshare. I have no free breakfast. I want nothing for you but what God wants for you. Mammon was an ancient God. Remember, I told you that the world is filled with gods. And God says, my name is Elohim, Jehovah God. They believe that there is a God that provides wealth. And Jesus didn't warn of any other God that has such significant power than money. Because money has the ability, if you don't own it, it owns you. If your hand is not open, you dare to close your hand on that, it bites you with such deep poison and it's always filled with greed and it's always filled with fear. Hey, have you ever heard anybody that says, I've made enough money, I'm good. 
Come on now. You know, whenever we go home, the hotel closest to my parents' house is a casino hotel. Don't look at me that way. You know what is so interesting? Remember the days in casinos where you still had to get quarters or pennies in this big old bucket? Looks like a popcorn bucket, right? And you walk past the casino and the people who are playing clearly should not be playing because they can't even afford what's in the bucket. And they sit there and their bucket's full and they think this is my miracle day. Go back seven hours later and the bucket is empty because money always promised more money but will always leave you want more. You always think you have not enough because you see, I think we think that wherever our hand and our money is, our love will follow. Jesus says something opposite. He says, wherever you give your money, your heart will follow. So let me look in this camera and take my glasses off and look you straight in the eyes. You know many husbands and wives I sat with and I hear this, I no longer love this person like I used to. I don't have that feeling anymore. And I want to tell you something so personal and so deep. N Nobody marries somebody for any other reason than the way they feel when they're in that person's presence. That's why beautiful women have ugly husbands. Because the ugly dude do, goes like, I have nothing to give but kindness. Come on now. No woman says, I want to get married because look at those glutes. No. It's because if whoever's with you has an ability to acknowledge and extract the beauty of your soul, man, ugly turns beautiful really quickly. And you and I have got to understand that wherever we put our money, our hearts will be. And wherever we withhold our money, our love will be subtracted from that. That's a kingdom principle that God wants to teach us. And you see, I believe that some of us may feel like the Pharisees felt when Jesus said this. They said when the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this, they were sneering. You know what's sneering? They were freaking ticked. Because they go like, no, we love God and we love money. No, you can't love God and money. If you love God, your money will be where God is. Your money will follow his kingdom, his business, his intention. That is just the truth. That is just the truth. Listen, giving is how we direct our hearts towards the kingdom of God. Church, I don't know how to better say this. But this morning when you were worshiping, I was standing backstage. And I was going, if, if they worship, if they keep going, I don't care about preaching. Because there is something so beautiful when you come in here burdened. You come in here weary. And then somewhere in the midst of it, you decide, I don't care about what I feel right now. I, God is good. I'm just going to give him something here. 
And the moment you participated and you acted in the presence of worship, something shifts. You cannot think giving, you must give to have giving. Now, let me give you the last one. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're doing so well. You're doing so well. Money is a tool. It's not a goal. Money is a tool. It's not a goal. So, so the question that I have when I read that, that Jesus commended this shrewd, dishonest man, and he says, this man with a darkened heart is smarter than those Pharisees that are standing around me. Because you see, the Pharisees around him wanted money for themselves for this moment. But that other man realized, if I just grab all the money in the world, when the money is done, I'm done. What I'm going to do, I'm going to make friends with the money that I have. And when I make friends, if I run out of that, I'll just go to the other friend and say, remember me and the bushels. And then I've got a whole cycle of goodness. And when then they're outside, I'm going to go like, remember the bushels that you, right? In other words, when I make friends with money, then I have a future existence that awaits me. Now you say, Pastor P, what has this got to do with us? Well, I think the question that you and I need to understand is that Jesus says this. Luke chapter 16, verse 9, here is the lesson. Use your worldly resource to benefit. Thank you for the seven others. And to make... Okay, this is not what it's saying. It's not saying uh, go to Bar Louis and just give everybody free drinks and that's how you make friends. It's not what he's saying. Because he says this, that when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to a eternal home. When is your possessions gone? The moment you die, your possessions is gone. What is the eternal home? I'm going to tell you what the eternal home is. Because you see, all around you, you're going to see more and more pictures that are populating our walls. I've got a stack of pictures like this because some of you have been coming to the Father's house for a couple of weeks, a couple of months. I've got a stack of pictures from 2000 to 2006. We're going to populate those pictures because you see every one of those pictures has a moment. There is a picture where we were walking with little sticks with flags onto a bare property where a few hundred people believed that God wanted to do something great in Rochester, New York. And we put those stakes in the ground and every hammer beat goes like, I hope this works because I'm sacrificing for a dream. That I believe that God is going to do something. And one day when, when this whole thing, this, this dream comes to fulfillment and the credits run, I'm with my name in it. Because you know what is so interesting for me? In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was there to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. 
And then there are two chapters, in my opinion, that's a total waste of time. Because it mentions all the names of the people who gave and built. And I go like, I can't even pronounce the names. What's the point? I'm going to tell you the point. That God has chosen to do nothing through angels, but through faithful people that he invites to be stewards of his blessing in their lives so that their lives can become meaningful lives that at the end of your life, when the credits roll, When I die, I've already shared with Trina this. First of all, you don't dare open my coffin. Swear as anything, I'll come back and just... Because I want you to remember me. Somebody filled with love that has an inability to always calculate what comes out of my mouth. But when you doubt, just get close enough to my heart and you know that it's from a deep place of love for you. And the second thing is I do not want a white funeral. I want a black funeral. Because white funerals, 20 minutes. I want a three-hour deal. I don't want you to just cry. I want wailing. Right? I want Pentecostal. I want people to fall out in trauma. And then we get up and we're going to have soul food. Right? And don't say it's a celebration. First call it a tragedy. And then when you eat, you go like, now it's a celebration. But you know people are going to stand up and talk about me. People are going to talk about you. What are they going to say? He lived. He ate. Drove a good car. Had a boat. Went to Florida. Was rich. And then he died. That's wasted life. I have a theory as I'm closing with four minutes to go. And the bolts are only starting to play in 55 minutes. I have a deep belief that when you and I grow old, all we will have is memories. We don't care for a phone upgrade. Now we sit with Jitterbug. (laughs) The numbers are so big. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) You're not on Twitter. Nobody cares. All you have is memories. But memories are expensive. Can I be frank? Some husbands, wives, you are so stinking cheap. Your spouse says, let's go to Italy. 
You'll be like, why Italy? Niagara Falls is exactly the same. <laughs> Not gonna pay that kind of money for a flight. And I don't even like their coffee. I like coffee house coffee from Dunkin' Donut. One day when you and I sit and we drool, and all we have is memory, you know what you're gonna see? Made in the mist. You know what I'm going to see? That beautiful bridge in Venice. Where I kiss my bride like we're having an affair. I'm going to have a smile on my face. And you're still going to think the maiden mist was overpriced. At the end of your life, how much of your life and God's goodness are going to be memorialized in moments. Because you see, this moment here, and Jeremy Bilkey is one of my most favorite people in the world. He teaches me humility. He teaches me accountability. He teaches me a love for people like very few people I know. He teaches me to care when it's not expected. So having this picture right now, I know is making him uncomfortable. But this picture right here is an eternal friend awaiting in heaven, not for Jeremy, but those who gives of what is God's anyway. For my family, every week God provides 100% of blessing in my life. And he's so kind. He says, you can keep the 90. But 10% goes into the stories that will outlive humanity forever. You go like, that sounds like tithing. I don't care what you call it. You don't have to do it. But I can tell you this one thing. God will partner in a greater way with them who steward his resources well. You can never outgive God. And it's not from you, church. It's for you, church. Because you see, I believe with all of my heart. Let me just go to the last one. The end is not what we give, yet it is, but it's to become people of love and freedom that's not driven by fear, to mimic the Father's love and generosity in this world. Because I know we have never lived as far as I know in this season. Some of you are paying double mortgage if you didn't lock in. Some of you right now struggling to get food on the table. Some of you right now can't even fill your car with gas. But can I tell you something? That you can go look up study. When people prosper, 
the kingdom suffers. When times are hard, the highest recorded giving that has changed the world and has spread the good news and the help of God all over the earth was during the Great Depression. Is where your treasure is? That's where your heart is. So here's my question as I'm closing. God invites us. Do you want more stuff or more stories? You go like, that's hard. It's not hard. If you're reminded of God's faithfulness. Listen, if they would tell Carrie, who's so beautifully pregnant right now, how much a baby is going to cost. She would pray to be unpregnant right now. Come on, you know that. And I thought it stops the moment they turn 21. You know what the worst thing is? While I'm complaining, I'm doubling what they need. That's what love does. God is faithful. But we are tested. And our love for Him is grounded in the way we respond to Him. Not by agreement, but by action. Now, I'm done. Get to me in this camera. I have zero intention to pivot anything that I said today or timeshare, building campaign, or nothing. My intention is for you and I to live in a way and understand that God wants our hearts first. The world is trying to sell us a gospel of wealth and success that will leave us empty without stories and forgettable lives. When we entrust God with faithfulness week after week after week with what He is blessing us with, when we get to heaven and when we are on earth, the expansiveness of this moment that seems so ordinary because you're not looking at one life that has been made alive. You are looking at a household and children and children's children and children's children's children and children's children's children but somebody invested in the kingdom of hope on this earth. So my that my prayer Father is that you will teach me teach us the potent poison of the culture of me first for God you said seek the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom of God 
and the business of the kingdom of God. And if you are faithful and little, I will bless your life with much. Not so that you can become the wealth, but you can produce the magnificent work of God on this earth. So God, I pray for those who are struggling right now. Thank you for your kindness. For those who are wrestling with us, thank you that you remain faithful in our struggling hearts. And God, may we carry this challenge. For it's not what we give, it's who we become in this very toxic culture. Thank you that you bless us and you provide for us. For the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. May God bless you. And may the bulls win.